The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Sure is good to be with you all. Excited to look at God's Word with you today. Let's pray and ask for help. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you want to be known, you want us to know you, you want a relationship with us, Um, you've done everything to make that possible. Lord, I just pray right now as we hear your word together that um, you would send your Holy Spirit and make this more than just another speech or another sermon, but that you would really show us who you are and what you've done, and we'd be affected again. We'd be changed. Um, and we would see you, Lord Jesus, for who you are, and it would change everything uh, because you've loved us so deeply and filled us with your love. We, we ask that you would do that for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been here for more than a couple of years, you know that it's August, and every August we have to do serve Sunday, okay? There are things we need in our community that we need our community to do. This is a team. This is a body. This is a family. So I'll go ahead and show you my cards, right? What is Pastor Matt looking for today? I want you to serve. I want many of you to sign up to serve here at Fountain of Life. I want this because I believe your service would be good for us, and I believe your service would be good for you, But let's just go ahead and say um, what some of us are thinking right now when you're asked to serve. I know what I get thinking sometimes. Number one, right? You're asked to serve. Oh, I'm busy, right? How many of you are busy? When was the last time you talked to your friend? You're like, how are you doing? And they're like, I got nothing to do. I got nothing to do. Got nothing to do. Everybody I talk to, they're like, busy. I'm busy. It's like you can't be an American unless you're busy. So for somebody else to ask you for one more thing, you're like, I don't have time for this. It's inconvenient. That's one thing. Another thing, um, unappreciated. Sometimes service stinks, right? You ever, you ever put your neck out there, you're going to serve, and then you served and you worked really hard and you tried hard and nobody said anything? Or even worse, the only thing they said was like a complaint or a criticism. That's it. That's all you got. And so you've done all this work, and all you got was nothing or a complaint or a criticism, and you're like, I'm out. Why did I do this? Why did I do this? Service stinks when you feel unappreciated, right? Or number three, it could feel unfair. Unfair. You know, have you ever heard of the 80-20 principle? 20% of the people do 80% of the work, right? Supposedly it's true everywhere. It's true in businesses. It's just true all over the place. 80% of the people are, hmm, 20%. 20% of the people are doing 80%. And maybe if you're, one of the, if you're the 20% doing 80%, you think, this is not, I'm working so hard. Uh, no one else is. It makes service stink. I know, right? Sometimes service stinks. So here I am. I'm asking you to serve. And the question would be, well, why would I serve if it's so difficult and even frustrating? Great question. Um, you know, I said I wanted you to serve here at Fountain of Life. And I do, but it's not really what I want. It's not really what I want. It's not even what I want. It's not what I want the most. 
It's not what I want. You know what I want this morning? I want really what only God can do, but I want us to see, for some of us maybe the first time, or some of us just to see it freshly again, I want us to see something beautiful, something shocking, something heartbreaking. I want you to see it. Then I want you to sit in it. And what I mean by sit in it is I want it to happen to you. I want you to experience it. There's something I want you to see. There's something I want you to sit in. And then if you see it and you sit in it, you'll want to follow it. You'll want to do it. It'll come out of you naturally. If you see it and you sit in it, you'll serve. And then if we all follow what God is saying in this passage, see it, sit in it, serve, we'll have something amazing to celebrate. Celebrate. And service will go from stinking to celebration. So we're going to spend our time this morning in the Gospel of John and see something really just shocking. If you've seen, many of you have seen this before. It's shocking. We're looking at Jesus in this kind of intimate encounter with his disciples. We're hitting the end of, we're getting to the end of Jesus' ministry. So he's he's gone all over the region teaching healing and making lots of enemies. Some people are hoping he will start a revolution against Rome and uh, make Israel into a superpower again. But that's not what he's after. And he's claiming things like, I and the Father are one. So he's more than just a political king. He's here for a divine reason, divine mission. He is himself from God. And there are many who want to kill him. And he knows it's time. It's about time. He's about to be betrayed and murdered. He knows this. And so he has this close moment with his disciples. This, the Gospel of John gives you these pictures of these close moments with his disciples before he's betrayed and murdered. And we get to see what happens here. Now, maybe you've had a surgery before or you've received bad news, or you know something rough is coming for you, how do you tend to deal with that? Some of, some of us want to hide, right? I want to go away by myself. Some of us want to um, be taken care of by others. We want people to come around us and uh, encourage us, let us know they're there. Well, here's Jesus' moment. I want you to see what he does. The first thing we need to to see is see who he is. Who is Jesus? Let's try to see him. Let's try to see him from what he knows. Look at verse 3. I'm in John 13, verse 3, page 900. Jesus, what's the first thing he knows? Knowing that the Father had what? Given all things into his hands. And two... He had come from God and was going back to God. Let's start there. He's come from God and is going back to God. It always makes me laugh when I read Jesus talk like this. I have come to... Do you have friends that talk about that way about themselves? You know, usually we have this, you know, you started when you were born. And you didn't come from somewhere else. You started here. And Jesus talks about himself like... He was born here because he's on a trip, you know. He started somewhere else, 
And then he got born because this is his journey. I had this other start. I have this other part of me, this other life that's before my birth. And I decided to come here and get born. If anybody else talked like that, you'd be like, you're crazy. You know, I heard Axel Rose went into counseling for pre, pre-life trauma. <laughs> Axel Rose, Guns N' Roses, counseling, yes. Pre-life, so, so life he had before this one, he needed counseling for it. So evidently Axel has come too. Okay. Jesus says, I've come. He says, I, he knows he's come from the Father. Now, we get so used to saying words like God, the Father. But what would it be like to be with God? To be with God. And if you believe in a God, and he's powerful and wise enough to make everything, control everything, if you believe what the Bible says, that he's holy and majestic and unapproachable, and that he's worshipped by billions of angels, one of whom would scare you enough to have you passing out. And to be, he was with God. If you were with God like that, are you leaving to come here? You know, if you could dial up anybody in heaven, do you think any of them are like, I just wish I could come back, you know? Nobody would say that. They'd say, I'm staying here. I'm with God. Jesus was with God, and he came. Why? He's with God, and he's going back to God. His, he's, he's accomplishing his journey, his trip, his mission. The timing has come, he's saying, and it's time to go back. He's going to go back. Do you see who Jesus is? He's going back to whom? How does he call? What does he call God? The Father. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He's always enjoyed God as the beloved son, and God is his father. He left his father, and now he's going back to his father, and he can't wait again to be with his father. He's going back. He knows who he is. Can you see it? Who is Jesus? He is the glorious, the eternal son of God. Look what else Jesus knows. Verse 3. He knows that the father has given all things into his hands. What if, what if you were elected king of some country, queen of some country, and that country was given into your hands? You would have a sense of responsibility, maybe a sense of fear, some of it's a sense of pride, like, I've, oh, I've got this, it's into my hands. Look who I am now, look what I have. What does Jesus know about what's in his hands? The Father has given him what? All things are in his hands. You see the magnificence of Jesus. Who is this person? You remember the story when he's in, in the boat with his disciples on the, on the sea and the storm comes? And what's Jesus doing when the storm is there? He's sleeping. Which, and we're also, you can feel the disciples being so frustrated and so confused. Because how do the disciples feel? They're scared to death. They think they're going to die. And when you're in crisis and someone close to you is taking a nap during your crisis, how do you feel about that? Wake up and pay attention to me. I'm about to die. Jesus is sleeping. It's so mind-boggling because, number one, what's he doing? He's sleeping. Why do you sleep? Because you're tired. Jesus was tired. He was human and he was tired. 
And yet in the middle of the storm where these accomplished sailors are afraid they're going to die, he's totally unmoved. He's sleeping. This is his time to catch a few winks. And then when they wake him up because they're so afraid, what's he do with the storm? It says in the Gospels, he rebukes it. Knock it off. Shut up. Stop. And what happens to the storm? It ceases. And the Gospels tell you that the disciples were afraid before. They were afraid of the storm. Then they saw a man stop the storm, and now they're really afraid. Because you're sitting in a boat with someone who was sleeping and now told a storm to show, shut up, and it did. Jesus knows all things are in his hand. Do you realize the might and the strength of Jesus? Through him, everything was made. Some of you can make amazing things. I'm in awe of what you can do, what you can create, what you can build. The best of us, all of us put together. Listen, Jesus made everything. The stars, physical powers that hold us together. Every, the cell, bugs, plant life, the sun, the moon, cleaning the oceans, the fish that swim in its depths. He made it. It was through him everything was made. All things were made. And now all things are in his hand. Jesus knows that history itself is about him and for him. Christians believe in a judgment day. Jesus promised he's going to come back. And he's going to judge everything. This was good. This wasn't. And the standard for judgment will be who he is. He will righteously judge all things by the very character of himself. And he's so wise and so powerful that every single human being ever will have to answer to him for why they loved what they loved and why they did what they did and what they lived for. Do you realize who this person is? And he will have the strength and majesty not to know everything perfectly and to bring perfect justice. All things are in his hands. The greatest human celebrity, the greatest human leader, the most powerful human you've ever heard of is nothing, nothing, nothing compared to Jesus. Do you see who he is? He's the son of God. He's majestic. No words I can say do him justice. See it. See it again. See him again. If he was in the room with you, how would you feel? What would you think? How would you respond? If he looked you in the eyes, what would it do in you? He's here by his spirit. We will look him in the eyes. He's the son of God. Now look at what he's going to do. This is the craziest switch language can bring you. Verse 3 to verse 4. Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands and that he'd come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. Maybe you're expecting a speech. I'm king of all things. Bow before me. He could have given it. He'd have been right. They should have bowed. They would have. He didn't give it. 
He laid aside his outer garments. He took a towel. He tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What are you doing? The one who has all things in his hands, all things in his hands, is now going to use those hands to wash dirty feet. God is going to serve like a slave. Like a slave. Culturally, when you ate dinner together, they didn't have big dining room tables and nice wooden chairs. You'd more recline on some cushions or pads. And so, for you and I, we have the wonderful blessing of when we eat, our feet are below us and covered. (laughs) Anybody agree? Do you want your kids to put their feet on the table, bare feet, dirty feet, while you're eating? Um... So when they're reclining, you know, my feet, your feet are kind of near my face. Okay. Not only that, did you ever wear, anybody ever wear Tevas back in the day? Teva sandals? Okay. You like to hike in sandals? Two of us? None of us. None of us? Just me. Thank you. I have one. Okay. I'll talk to you for this point. You would have these athletic hiking sandals, okay, and they had these creases in them. And you'd wear them and you'd go hiking. And man, you never lost your Tevas because all you had to do was go... And you knew where they were. Those things were death. Those things were death and judgment. They stunk so bad. You can't clean them. You can light them on fire. That's all you can do. You're in the ancient world, okay? You can't go to Costco and buy body wash. You're in the ancient world. Um, You walk in these sandals. And you walk on roads where there's poo and there's pee from the livestock. And it's dusty and it's dirty. You know, even our kids, they'll play outside barefoot for a while on the asphalt and the grass. Their feet are like a war zone right at the end of it. These feet would be gnarly. And so it was a cultural norm to where a slave, or the lowest on the social totem pole, might wash the feet of the guests before dinner. It was a way to show honor. It was a way to clean you up a little bit. It was a way to show politeness. It was a way to enjoy one another a little more. Somebody wash feet. Who wants that job? Please know. Uh, we have Jewish writings where they talk about, some, some authors are saying, well, we don't think even Jewish slaves should have to do this. You need to find a Gentile slave for this job because that's how, that's how gross this is. Okay? Can I get an Amen. Amen. Nobody wants this job. And so there they are at dinner. Look at this. There they are at dinner, and Jesus knows what's coming. He knows he's going to die. And he knows who he is. Who is he again? He's the Son of God who holds all things in his hands. And he sees a need because they're all sitting around at table. They're all there, and they're, they're, there's their feet. And they didn't bring, they didn't have one. They didn't bring a slave. They didn't have a slave. And so there they are in the room, and everybody, this is cultural norm, and everybody's thinking, well, what should happen? It'd be nice if, it'd be nice to get these feet cleaned off. And then the next thought in your head is, I'm not doing it. <laughs> Shouldn't ask him. And what happens, you know, if you're a disciple, you're not doing it. And what happens if you ask the other disciple to do it? Hey, will you be my dirty slave? How's that going to go for the, you know, the friendship, the relationship? Or let's take a vote. Which disciple is such a loser that he's got to wash feet today? Or roll the dice, you know, bet on it. If you, you know, let's bet on the game. Who's going to win? If you lose, you have to wash the feet. Huh? 
There they are. Nobody's to wash the feet. What could Jesus have done? Hey, everybody pick a partner. Watch each other's feet. Or let's just skip it. I'm getting crucified soon. I'm tired. So what's he do? What does Jesus do? Jesus sees the need. And he meets it. And he serves like a slave. Like a slave. Can you imagine the room as he goes around with the water and washes their feet? Why is he doing this? Amazing verse up in verse 1. Will you look at verse 1 with me? Before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew it, an hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having what? Loved his own who were in the world. Read this last phrase with me. He loved them to the end. The end. When you're looking at Jesus and you're thinking about him, how cool would it be to be known as his own? In Jesus' mind, he knows who his own are. Those are my people. That's my girl. That's my sister. That's my guy. That's my brother. Those are my own. Those are my people. You got people like that in your life? Those are my people. Jesus knows who his people are, his own. And he loves them. He loves them. And he loves them what? To the end. Ever had somebody love you not to the end? (laughs) Far too common. Broken promises. Betrayal. Fell out of love. Or it's just life-changing relationships. Sometimes you can't even help it, right? Life, you move or something, and a relationship changes. The love changes somehow. Not Jesus' love. He loves to the end and then past it. He loves for eternity. And even though he's about to die, guess what he's still doing? Loving. And because he loves, he what? He serves. Because he loves, he serves. It's amazing. Jesus knows he's going to die on a cross. I'd be less apt to serve at that moment. You know, you don't make the one going into surgery cook dinner, right? He's got something hard. We'll take care of him. Jesus could be like, hey, can you guys wash the feet today since I'm going to die for the sins of the world, you know? Delegate a little bit. He loves. He serves. Because he serves, he loves. And the extent to which he serves shows the depth of his love. Do you see that? Can you see it? Can you see who Jesus is and what he's doing? Who is he? He's the son of God who serves. Why? Because he loves. See it. He's the son of God who serves because he loves. Now you need to sit in it. You learned about him. Do you know him? Do you know it? Look at what happens in verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? You can understand how Peter's feeling. 
First of all, I think it's kind of awkward to have an equal do this kind of a, a service. But Jesus is more than an equal. To, Peter doesn't understand everything that's going on with Jesus, but he knows he's already said, you're the Christ. He knows he's the promised king. And even the word he uses here, Lord, Lord. So what's he saying? No, I might let somebody wash my feet, but I can't let you wash my feet. And what's he saying? You're too valuable. You're too good. I can't let you do this. I don't deserve it. You're too great. I can't receive it. Do you ever have that attitude in yourself? Even just on a human level, isn't it vulnerable to need help, to ask for help sometimes? Some of you can serve all the live long day, but you get nervous if somebody tries to serve you. Nervous. We have different reasons for that. But I think this happens with our relationship with Jesus. There's a weird pride that wants to try to honor Jesus in a way, and it says like, well, Jesus, you're too good for me. I can't come to you. Or, or it says, I'm gonna have to, I'll have to save myself. Or an attitude that maybe says, I'll come to Jesus when I can fix myself. I'm too bad right now. You ever felt that way? You know somebody who felt that way? I'll come to Jesus later when I can adjust myself a little bit. Right now, I'm too much of a mess. He won't want me. So if I can fix it a little, then I'll come to him and he'll be like, oh, okay, I'll let you in now. Maybe some of that's in Peter saying, you can't, you can't wash my feet. Look what Jesus says. Uh, verse 7, he says, what, what I'm doing now, you don't understand. Afterwards, you'll get it. You'll understand. And then Peter in verse 8 says, you'll never wash my feet. You'll never wash my feet. You're, it's too much, Jesus. I don't deserve it. I'll take care of it myself. I'll take care of it myself. Let me fix myself. Let me save myself. Let me serve myself. You're too good. You're at, you're at a distance. You stay over there, Jesus. I'll stay over here. Look what Jesus says. Jesus answered him. We read this with me? Jesus answered him. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Wow. You can't be mine, Jesus is saying, unless you let me serve you right where you are. You can't be mine unless you totally take down all these boundaries and let me meet you right there. See, something, something bigger than foot washing is going on, isn't it? It's not just the dirt in Peter's toenails we're talking about. This means more. There's a deeper washing, a deeper cleansing that this is symbolic of. If I don't wash you, you don't have a share with me. To be his, he has to wash you. To belong to him, you have to be served. You have to sit before Jesus, unable in yourself to receive what only he can do for you. You have to, as it says, come as you are. To be a Christian first is not to serve Jesus, is it? What's, is, to be a Christian is not first to serve Jesus. It's to what? It's to have been served by Jesus. Sit in it. Sit in it. If I don't wash you, you have no share with me. So then Peter's response, look at verse 9. So Peter says to him, All right, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands, my head. I'm in. I'm in. I need what you have. I think this is a picture of faith right here. This is what faith says, real faith, the heart of faith. Faith says to Jesus, I can't make it without you. I need you to serve me. 
Faith says to Jesus, I need you for everything. I don't have enough on my own. Faith says to Jesus, anything it takes to be with you, to belong to you, anything. I'll give up anything. Just let me be yours. Faith says to Jesus, serve me where I'm at. Take me as I am right here. Are you there yet? Are you sitting there right there this morning? Are you there right now? Do you still have some self-sufficiency kicking around or some aspects of your life where you're like, Jesus, I'm going to keep that for me? Jesus says, let me wash you. Let me take it. Self-sufficiency is really good in some parts of life, but not when it comes to the Son of God. We need him. We need him. So look what Jesus says to Peter in Peter's faith. Jesus says to him in verse 10, The one that's bathed doesn't need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. What? Jesus says, i got to wash your feet. Peter says, you can't wash my feet. Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you can't belong to me. Peter says, all right, wash it all. And Jesus is like, I'm being symbolic. I think they know that. But he's saying, Peter, you're already, you're already clean. You're already okay. You're already right with me. I'm just going to serve your feet. You're already, you're already there. What's he saying? Well, did you notice that at the beginning of this text, it said it was, it was, a, it was a time of Passover? Can we go here just for a little bit? Do you remember what happened at Passover? The people of Israel were under slavery in Egypt, and they were under the, the tyrant of a Pharaoh who believed he was God, a son of the gods. And so he was abusive to Israel and murderous to Israel. And they cried out to the Lord, and the Lord said, I'm coming to save my people. And he sent Moses, and Moses' line to Pharaoh was, God says, let my people go. And what does Pharaoh say? I don't know your God. I kind of think I'm God. And I'm not letting them go. And so what does God do to Pharaoh for the next few months? Bam, 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 bam. Plague, plague, plague. You better let him go. You better let him go. Pharaoh won't let him go. Finally, God brings in the heaviest plague. All the firstborn of Egypt are going to die. You may think, that's harsh. Yeah, it is harsh. And God sees Israel as his, as his children. And what has Pharaoh been doing to his children? Been murdering God's people. And God has been warning Pharaoh, warning Pharaoh, warning Pharaoh. And he says, if you don't let him go, I'm going to take the firstborn of Egypt. Strangely, as this plague is coming, Israel is not exempt from the wrath that is about to hit. Israel's not okay. As the angel of death is coming, Israel needs salvation. And so what did God supply for them? Well, you kill the lamb. You kill the lamb and you take the blood of that lamb and you put it on your door. Isn't that so... It's so vibrant. It's so in your face. Every family unit has to have blood on their door to be marked. And so when that angel comes, if you have the blood on your door, he'll see, oh, you're okay, you're clean, move on. And so that lamb was a substitute for you and your family. And now as Jesus is having this evening, it's the time of Passover. And he knows what's happening at Passover. You remember John one twenty nine, where John the baptizer said this about Jesus. Behold the what? The Lamb of God who takes away 
the sins of the world. Do you see here what's changed? Instead of God coming in wrath to take the firstborn, God is coming in grace to give his firstborn for those who deserve the wrath, where Jesus is the ultimate, the actual Passover lamb. And if you've trusted in him and what he's done for you in his life and his death and his resurrection, the blood is on the door of your life. And God's wrath passes over and says, you're good. And just like Jesus says to Peter, he says to those who believe in him, you're clean. You're clean. This is why Jesus came, Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to do what? To serve. And the ultimate service, it's not foot washing. The biggest service is to give his life as a ransom for many. He's buying you out of sin, out of death, out of wrath, and bringing you to himself. You're clean. And so we see a verse in the New Testament like Hebrews 10.10. We have been sanctified or made a holy or cleansed of all our sin through what? The offering of the body of Jesus Christ and then three wonderful words. Once for all. It's done. It's finished. Just enjoy this for a moment. If you no matter what you've done or what you did again over and over again. Maybe you're thinking, I came, but then I left, and now I can't come back. No. You can always come back. Jesus has made you clean through the cross, and he did it once for all. It's done. It's finished. You're clean. You're clean. Have you sat in Jesus' service? Have you sat there and let him see you and let him clean you? This happens in the ultimate way in conversion and salvation. I'm a sinner, Jesus, I need you to save me. And yet you trust him. But it still happens after that too, doesn't it, Christians? Continually to sit in his presence. Be cleansed. Be cleansed again. Be changed. Be healed Sit. See who he is and what he's doing. He's the son of God who serves because he loves. And sit in it. Trust in it. And hear him say to you, you're clean. Well, what happens then? Look at verse 12. When he'd washed his feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, so I am. If I then, your teacher and your Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to... Wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one he's sent. So Jesus has washed his disciples' feet as an example. And he argues from the greater to the lesser. Because who is he in verse 13? I'm your teacher and Lord. I'm the son of God. What's implied there? Who should be washing feet in the room? Not me. None of them had a claim to be like, Jesus, you've got to wash our feet. Which one of them deserved Jesus washing their, their feet? 
Nobody. Jesus said, I'm the, I'm the exalted one. I'm king. If I wash your feet, then what did he just do for every one of our excuses not to wash feet? That's the point. What did he do to your excuses not to serve one another? He blew them up. He set them on fire. Did Jesus serve the undeserving? Oh, he sure did. Do you realize Judas is in the room? What was that moment like when Jesus is watching, washing Judas' feet? Do you think Judas could even look him in the eye? He still served him. The undeserving. Did Jesus serve the ungrateful? Did they really know what he was doing? Pat him on the back. Jesus, you're so, you can do it. Did he serve the unfaithful? What happened when the the heat got hot and the soldiers came? They all ran. But what did Jesus do for them knowing all of this? He served. And so what is he saying? If I served you, you shouldn't have a problem serving anyone or in any way. The only ones who have an excuse not to serve are those who are greater than Jesus. Go ahead and raise your hand. Wow. Wow. What a lesson. We remember service is true greatness. What a lesson for any, for any leadership, whether at work or in the family, if you have authority at all. S- service is a picture of leadership. Does, uh, does anybody in the room have a question on who's in charge in this foot washing room? We're not sure who really is in charge. Who has authority in the room? They all know it. Who has the authority? Jesus does. What's his model of leadership? Get up and wash my feet. He could have. Instead, his model of leadership is, let me wash yours and show you how to do this. And then you do it too. Amazing. Mark 10, 43, Jesus said this. And he, he was talking about Gentile rulership and how they dominate one another. And he says, it's not, like, not going to be like this among you, not my people. Whoever would be, what's that word there? Great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave. It wasn't just talk, he did it. He did it. So what's he saying? If you see who he is in his love and how he serves, and you sit in it, you let him serve you by faith, the response will be, serve like he has. Serve like he does. And of course, this is for all of life, right? It's for all of life. It's for every relationship. It's for every opportunity. And sometimes it's in the local church. See Jesus' love. See him serve like no other. Sit in his love and his service to you. Follow his example. Serve. And with that, we can celebrate. Look at verse 17 in John 13. If you know these things, what will happen? Blessed are you if you do them. Isn't it easy as Christians to know things? Because we sermons and Bible studies and books and and you've had Bible study about evangelism. And then you all kind of look at each other sheepishly after the Bible study because you're like, see the Greek and you have all these reasons why you should evangelize. And then, and then how much evangelism do you do the next week? Is that easy to do, right? If, if you know this, if you've seen Jesus serve, now what is he saying for you to do? If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Serve. 
But I don't want to emphasize the do. I want to emphasize the blessed. What's it mean to be blessed? Now, I'm not the, I'm not the fancy dress TV person. If you serve, your wallet will expand. <laughs> do some love service and, you know, I don't believe that. It's fun to act like them occasionally. Um, I don't believe that. But Jesus isn't a liar, and he's not stingy. He's saying that when you, serve, when you see him and are served by him and you serve like him, you will enjoy the fruit of God's grace in your life, and it will be a blessing. I mean, this word blessing has ingredients of, like, happiness in it, joy, prosperity, like a holistic peace. You're doing well. You're living the life you're supposed to live. You're thriving. You're blessed. So Jesus is promising, if you see my love and my service and you follow my example, it won't be like pulling teeth. It'll be a blessing to you. It'll be a blessing to all of you. And then Jesus has some things to clear up about Judas. I'm not talking about all of you. That must have been awkward, right? You'll be blessed if you do it, but I'm not talking about all of you. And he, you know, I don't know how he did it with Judas. Or if Judas was like, I got something in my eye, you know, I... It's going to be fulfilled. One of you is going to betray me. This is really important for what's happening with the disciples because when everything goes to hell and they're all so confused and it's so chaotic, he wants them to remember that he predicted that one of them would betray him. So they'll know he's in control and they won't be afraid. He says in verse 9, I want you to know this so when it does take place, you'll believe that I am he. But look at verse 20. Thinking of service. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. What does it, what does it mean to receive somebody? There's a hospitality and a service, a blessing. It says in Mark 9:41, Jesus says, Truly, I say to you, whoever gives a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. So if so if somebody representing Jesus is coming and you receive them and even just give them some water because they're his, what is Jesus saying? I'll remember. I'll reward you. You'll know my pleasure. I'm happy about that. I see it. I see you. Back to John. Whoever receives the one I send receives me. Do you realize what Jesus is saying about service to one another? Are you amazed by Jesus? Don't you wish you could go? I'd, I'd go wash his feet right now if I could, wouldn't you? I would. I'd do anything. Or would I? Because I can't go to Jesus' house right now and mow his lawn or whatever. But Jesus has given us the opportunity to serve him by serving one another. When you watch the kids in the nursery so the parents can come into the service and you're kind to them and loving to them and you show them the Jesus love, who are you serving? You're serving them and that's great. And you're serving Jesus. When you get here early to set up the tables and make coffee and cut bagels so when people can come, it's easier to talk and hang out. You're serving them, but who are you serving? Jesus. 
when you get here so early to practice the songs so we can play them for people and inspire worship. You're serving Jesus. Whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. When we serve one another because of Jesus and his service to us, God is in our midst. Jesus is all in us and around us as we receive one another and serve one another and bless one another. He says, if you do this, you'll be blessed. You'll, we'll be blessed with the presence of God in our life together as we keep seeing Jesus, as we keep sitting with him and being served by him, as we follow his example. See, sit, serve, celebrate. So remember it. I hope you can see it. I hope you feel it. Jesus has served us because he loved us. Let's sit in that love. Serve one another and celebrate that God is in our midst as he's in our service. Let's pray. Jesus, we're in awe that you would serve us like this. What did I deserve to have you do anything other than judge me and cast me away? And yet you've served us. Every one of us, you've provided for us. You gave your life for us. You've revealed yourself to us. Help us see it again and be amazed. Be in awe of you, love you. And Lord, let us follow your example. If you can serve me, then how can I not serve others? In fact, if I get to love you by loving others, help me to love them. If I get to serve you, Jesus, by serving others, help me to serve them. Lord, put it in our hearts, not just, not just here in the list we can sign up for, but all in our lives, everywhere in our lives, to be like you to those around us, to serve you. God, we confess our pride and the difficulty and the frustration in it, but we thank you that we can see your example and follow in your path. Bless us as we do this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.